0: As, um, as you know, if you're here regularly, in honor of the 450th anniversary of the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, we're on a tour of the Catechism this fall at Faith. Um, usually, if we're in the Catechism, what we do is we preach or we focus on one Lord's Day at a time, but this series is more of an overview. And, and that's important because otherwise, we could miss the forest for the trees. As helpful as it is to study an individual lesson, an individual Lord's Day, it's also helpful to admire the whole forest that is the Catechism. And this series is really designed to give us that bigger picture. We're focusing tonight especially on the Apostles' Creed, which is pieced together and lifted out of numerous various faith statements. Throughout the Scriptures, two brief Scripture texts, they're single verses, Um, you're welcome to turn to them or you can just listen, are going to help us enter into this. The first is Matthew 10, verse 32, where Jesus says, Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. And then 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him for that day. Let's ask God's blessing on our time of hearing his word tonight. Heavenly Father, it's good to be here in your house. It's good to sing your praises. It's good to fellowship with one another and and see one another. Lord, we pray now that uh, you would bless us as we go to your word. Your word is life. Your word is power for living. Lord, we talk a lot about living for you and and we want to live for you. And there are even uh, gatherings of church leaders that discuss How can we better be the church? And all of these sorts of important conversations. But Lord, we've failed at all of that if we don't recognize uh, the source for being effective as a church. The source for being effective in this world as Your people. And the source of power, Lord, is You, Your Word, Your Spirit working Your Word into our hearts and lives and into even this church. Uh, We pray that that might happen tonight, even as we're gathered here at faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. After um, an introduction to this series, a couple of months ago now it might have been, we started with three messages. We started up at 30,000 feet in our overview of this catechism. At 30,000 feet, we were looking at the threefold structure of the catechism guilt, grace, gratitude. Hundreds of catechisms were written in the 1500s and 1600s and since. But that structure, sometimes we call it sin, salvation, service, that structure is something pretty unique about the Heidelberg Catechism that we have as one of our confessions. We don't know exactly what made the author set it up this way, but we do know, it is clear, that that is basically the same structure. That's the outline of the book of Romans. So it probably came from them knowing the book of Romans and that structure and finding it helpful to organize our faith that way. For the second half of this series, we're going to move from 30,000 feet, just a little bit lower, to 10,000 feet. And we're going to look at the contents of the catechism, what's in it. The contents of the catechism are not unique. It includes what the church pretty much has always included in its catechisms, the Apostles' Creed, the sacraments, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. These are some very, very foundational matters of the faith. And that makes a study of them very, very helpful For new Christians, for young Christians, and for lifelong believers, too, all throughout our lives. I want to lay out those four things in just a way. I have it on the screen, I think. Um, The Apostles' Creed covers what I believe, just to kind of, you know, what the sacraments cover, how my faith grows. That section in the catechism also includes a study of the keys of the kingdom. Preaching, discipline, discipline, discipleship, similar. The Ten Commandments cover how I live. The Lord's Prayer is about my relationship with Jesus. So you see these four documents, these four aspects of the faith cover some very practical down-to-earth matters for our faith day by day. So tonight, the Apostles' Creed. The catechism, and we're, we're not spending the time to touch down, but I encourage you to do it later. Um, the catechism gives a beautiful introduction to the idea of faith in Lord's Day 7. I encourage you to review it sometime. We studied it just a year ago in that Greatest Hits of the Faith series where we touched down on some especially great Lord's Day's. Then in Lord's Day 8, we get the structure of the Apostles' Creed. It says, how are these articles divided? And then from Lord's Day 9 all the way through 22, bits and phrases of the Apostles' Creed are covered and studied, and we're asked, what does this mean? What does that mean? And the writers of the Catechism give us an answer. So the Apostles' Creed gives the basic contents of our faith and the heidelberg catechism explains them it's important these days to say up front at the outset that there actually is content to our faith we have to say that in a world where content isn't always prized we've got to say that in a world that seems to value relativism more than objective truth Culture, if you haven't noticed, is pretty slippery with the truth these days. I have my truth, you have yours, it's all good. Tim Stafford tells of a pastor he knows, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, Stephi Belinsky. And he starts each profession of faith class with a jar full of beans, and he asks his students, I don't know what church this is, he asks his students, though, to guess how many beans are in the jar. And on a big pad of paper, he writes down the estimates. Then next to those estimates, he helps them make another list, a list of their favorite songs. When the lists are complete, he reveals the actual number of beans in the jar. The whole class looks over their guesses to see which estimate was closest to being correct. And then Belinsky turns to the list of favorite songs and says, which one of these is closest to being right? The students are very quick to say there's no right answer. A person's favorite song is purely a matter of taste. And then Belinsky asks, when you decide what to believe in terms of your faith, is it more like guessing the number of beans or more like choosing your favorite song? Across the board, he gets the same answer apparently. Choosing one's faith is most like choosing your favorite song. So what we believe is pretty much a matter of taste. That's what these students seem to think. This is how people think about the faith, right? You know it's true. This is how people think about the faith, about Christianity, even in the church, apparently, that there is not necessarily a great connection between what we believe and objective truth and answers. But I want to affirm with you tonight that there is a direct connection. And there's one writer I really respect who puts it this way, to be a Christian is to be someone who confesses the truth. Confessing the truth, believing there is truth in the world and that it's been revealed by God, all of that lies very close to the very heart of what it means to be a believer and to be a Christian. What Lord's Day 7 says is so helpful in our day and age when it talks about true faith. It says, It is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in His Word is true, it's also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit. Because the catechism is always so personal and always so heartfelt, it wants to bring us to Assurance of faith especially, right? That's where it's leading. But it's telling us along the way that true faith also definitely includes knowledge. As Christians, we focus strongly, these days especially, I think, on our serving, our loving, our doing, what we do for others, and that is wonderful. I don't think we can have true faith without serving, without loving, without our faith having action. And that's why the Catechism will bring us to the Ten Commandments, which tell us how to live. Loving God, loving others. But sometimes, this is, I have found that you find people... Who, focus, who want to focus Christians and the church on, say, serving at the expense of our knowing. Saying it in such a way that's acting like knowledge of the faith is maybe not that important. I think truth and doctrine are getting a bad rap. But the fact is, we need all of it people, the serving, the loving, the doing, the living, yes, and a standing on the truth. We can't let that go, or all the rest falls apart. A balanced biblical faith is what we should be striving for as much as possible, a balanced faith that includes all of these things. And that is absolutely why in our church mission statement, we talk about equipping people to serve. We talk about expressing God's love to others and experiencing God's Word, knowing and standing on the truth of God's Word too. The head, the heart, the hands, all three are involved in a balanced biblical faith. Some of us might be stronger in certain areas. Some people you meet are a little more intellectual and thoughtful about the faith. Someone else might be more oriented towards the serving, the doing, they're hands-on type of people. Other people are more heartfelt, emotional about the faith. That's fine, that's wonderful. But just because someone might be more oriented one way doesn't mean it's okay to dismiss or cut down other aspects of the faith. That's not right. We need all of these things to be going on in our lives to have a well-rounded faith. So, can you start to see why the contents of the catechism are so important? The Ten Commandments, they're especially about the doing. The Lord's Prayer is especially about cultivating our relationship with the Lord, a close walk with God. The Apostles' Creed is especially about the contents of our faith. So the Catechism gives us and shows us the balanced Christian life that we all strive to have. And so the Apostles' Creed shows us especially the truth we stand on. The knowledge of God's Word that Lord's Day 7 says is key to true faith. And that's very important too. Christianity does have truth christianity as one person puts it is not a vacant religion where you can fill into it whatever you want to and the apostles creed is the best brief summary of that truth that we stand on and that we hold to i want to give you just a little bit of background in stuff on the creed how it came about it originated from the first or second century or the fourth century at the latest It's recognized by all three main branches of the church. You know what the three big branches of the church are? Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox. It doesn't cover everything, but it does cover the broad view of Christian doctrine. Creation all the way to the end times. Talks about the work of Christ at the heart of it. Lord's Day 8 shows us that it has a Trinitarian structure. I believe in God the Father Almighty. And then there's a very large section on Jesus Christ. And then there's just that one phrase on the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. But everything after that is the work of the Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. As for it being called the Apostles' Creed, there's a description I want to read to you going way back of how the Creed came about. At some point before the Apostles spread out, they decided they needed to agree on a norm for their future preaching so that they went to different cities and countries. Their doctrine would agree with each other as they invited people to believe in Jesus. And so at some point before they dispersed, they all met together in one spot and being filled with the Holy Spirit created this creed. It has 12 articles. I'm not sure exactly how it divides up in 12 articles. I've always heard that. I haven't like, checked it out for myself. But it has 12 articles and each contributed one of those articles. That description turns out to have been a legend, a very nice idea but not true. We don't think the apostles wrote it themselves. It's a summary of their teaching, and John Calvin, the great reformer, says this, I call it the Apostles' Creed without concerning myself in the least as to its authorship. I have no doubt that at the beginning of the church in the apostolic age, it was received as a public confession by the consent of all. He says our faith is summed up in it succinctly and in definite order, and it contains nothing that is not vouched for by genuine testimonies of Scripture. And he says, because that's true, we should not worry about the exact authorship. So the Apostles' Creed is called that because it's a summary of what the apostles taught, which means it's a summary of the Bible, not because they actually authored it. We've gone over tonight the fact that to be a Christian, to be a believer, is to confess the truth And I want to talk just a little bit more practically about the benefits of confessing and knowing the truth. The benefits of having the Apostles' Creed. There are a number of purposes of this creed for our lives that I just want to tick off. One, it's a declaration. This is a declaration. It identifies the church and those who are members of the church. It's a declaration of who we are and where we stand. Sometimes creeds and confessions are called standards. It's our standard. This is where we draw the line. This is what we live and die for, like we sang about earlier. As a nation, we prize the declaration of independence, which made a stand against great britain right the apostles creed is our stand it's a declaration it's who we are it's what we believe this marks who we are as children of god it's also a defense it's a safeguard against heresy and heresy is a word that refers to teaching that is contrary to the word of god Most confessions and creeds come out of a situation where there's a conflict between faith and unbelief, where there are differences of opinion, where people are trying to sort out the difference between what is true and what is biblical and what is not. The creed makes positive statements, but it does that in such a way That also excludes what we don't believe. For example, when we say that God the Father is the maker of heaven and earth, that excludes some other ways that people say this world could have come about. For example, people that might say and believe in atheistic evolution. That positive statement of who God the Father is excludes atheistic evolution that tells us this is not a belief option for christians god is the maker we confess that jesus was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary rather it could have just said he was born it includes both of those to help us see that he was fully god of the holy spirit and fully man of the virgin mary and that's something very central to our faith and our salvation. And that excludes people who would deny Jesus' humanity or deny his divinity. So this creed is a defense, too. It excludes false teachings. The creed's educational. It instructs people, and always has, who are joining the church. It's an instruction for children in the church, for those who want to make profession of faith. And catechisms were made for that purpose originally, to instruct new believers and young believers. And so the creed is important in what we call today faith formation. If someone wants to learn what the faith is about, someone asks you, what do you believe? There, This is as good a place as any to start. And the catechism's explanation of each phrase is a great place to go after that. It's very helpful, it's very clear, it's very succinct, it's very practical. Fourth, the creed is unifying. To confess literally means say together with. This is the basis of the church's unity, our common confession. Some people will want to tell you that creeds and confessions splinter the church. But they don't. They join us together. And that's why this creed and the other two creeds in the back, the Athanasian Creed and the Nicene Creed back in the hymnal that's why they're called ecumenical creeds. That's unifying. It's what we share with other Christians. And our confessions the Heidelberg Catechism, Belgian Confession Dort, are called forms of unity, because they are what unite reformed churches together in our common understanding of the Word of God. The Apostles' Creed doesn't divide, it unites. It divides us, in a sense, from unbelief, but it unites Christians everywhere. It's a unifying statement. One last purpose of the Creed I want to mention, is that it's worshipful. It's part of our worship as believers. From the very beginning, in New Testament times, summaries of the faith were used in Baptism services at the Lord's Supper service. Historically, a lot of churches like ours recite the Apostles' Creed regularly. We have a history of doing that in morning worship when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and a lot of our evening services, though, as you know, we regularly use other statements of faith at night too. In fact, all of these documents, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, have had, if you think about it, a special place in worship and in the liturgy of the church throughout the ages. And they do for us too. I I finally just want us to think about why I summarized what the creed is about with the phrase, what I believe. I put the Apostles' Creed, right, what I believe, and not with what we believe, which sounds a little more what it should be. Well, I did that, of course, because the creed starts out with I believe. So the question is, why does the creed start out with I believe? Why, didn't they, why weren't they thinking of all of us together? I think they knew what they were doing, and I think this shows us something very important, very critical. And, and it's kind of where the rubber meets the road in terms of talking about the apostles' creed, and that is, It shows us that our faith is personal. Each one of us must accept or own the faith. I can't believe for you. You can't believe for me. Parents can't believe for their children. Grandparents can't believe for their grandchildren. A wife can't believe for her husband. You can't live on the faith of those around you. There comes a point to profess our faith before God and others. And so with this all is a call to faith, a call to believe, a call to be sure that we've claimed Christ for our own. And as we respond, as we hear that call, and as we respond to it, it's comforting to know that our assurance and certainty is actually not in our faith. If it was in our faith, we'd constantly get discouraged. The certainty that we have as believers is not so much in our faith, which sometimes is kind of strong, sometimes though it's kind of weak. But the certainty for us as believers is in the grace of God. And it's in the object of our faith. Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, I know whom I have believed. What does that do? That puts the focus right on Jesus, who the Bible says is the author and perfecter of our faith. As important as our faith is, our faith is not what saves us, it's Christ. Faith is the instrument God's grace in Jesus saves. And that brings us full circle because the Apostles' Creed is an explanation of Christ and his work and salvation and Jesus And since he's the author and perfecter of our faith, since he's our focus, since he's our assurance, we want to learn more about him. We want to grow in him, which the creed and the catechism and even more than them, of course, God's word help us all do. Amen. Amen.